Welcome to Not Your Mama's Relief Society. I'm Annie Joy, and me and Julie are on a mission to teach the tools to help us to build a kinder Zion. Join us for today's conversation because there's always room on the pew for you. All right, friends. <laughs> we, we always struggle a little bit with the intro. <laughs> sometimes we just like one day we're gonna like read each other's cues and we're gonna come in hot every time i'm hoping that it ends up being more of a 19 1990s sitcom oh like we're here and we're together oh yeah like friends yeah (laughs) something like that i think that'd be really great and we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk yeah yeah like something yes that's my hopes and dreams anyway <laughs> yes I think it's a, an important hope and dream to have <laughs> yeah thank you yes yes you guys we are so so excited I'm bringing the guest today sorry Annie take a back seat that's all right, that's brings all right. Our guests, but I called in the big guns today I'm so excited we are going to be speaking with my cousin I just might as well it's cousin-in-law but let's get real in yeah. the family of Christ, we're all united. <laughs> so my brother, Clint yeah. Laidlaw, who is so awesome and he's so cool. And he's going to read us a little bio on Clint so you guys can get a intro on him. And then we will ask all of the most fascinating questions we can think about. All of the fascinating questions. All right. So guys, Clint, he's not just a reptile enthusiast, but a loving husband of 12 years, a rad dad, not just any dad, a rad dad. And the brains behind Clint's Reptiles, a biology-focused YouTube channel, which we will link in the show notes so you guys can go check out all the cool things. With a personality as colorful as a chameleon, Clint's zest for life is contagious. His acting, well, I just, he loves it already. He's like, he's like, guys, I didn't write this. <laughs> <laughs> this is his wife, which, by the way, bodes really well for how much she loves him, because this is a pretty seller. I know. It's really beautiful. That's why we wanted to read it. Like, this is so cute that she wrote this. So we love it. Clint rocked the undergrad scene with a double major in zoology and biology. He then snagged a master's in evolutionary ecology and sealed the deal with a PhD in biology. I love that you just like snagged a master's. Like it was just like, you know, <laughs> snatched it up. yeah, just snatched it. I love it. All right, outside the lab, Clint swapped the reptiles for a mountain bike, conquering trails with the same gusto he brings to his reptilian adventures. And if you catch him watching football, just know he's not superstitious, maybe just a little stitious, especially when it comes to cheering on the Chiefs. (laughs) I love it. Clint's journey includes a detour from evangelical Christianity to atheism and a baptism into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints adding an extra layer to his fascinating story. Clint, welcome, Clint. Welcome. Well, thank you. Yes. Really wonderful. We're so oh, glad well, you're thank here. Thank you. Thank you, Clint. I need to hear. So I want to hear about the beginning path. Let's start at the very beginning of your path to like evangelical atheist baptism. Would you just share with us like your conversion story and like how you were led to the gospel? Yeah, I grew up in, in an evangelical Christian church that I was baptized as an infant and, you know, raised every every Sunday going to church. Um, I did hate it the whole time. My my mom can attest to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, not, not, there was nothing 
particular, like I, I hated school too. I, I basically hated anything that got in the way of me being able to play and do what I wanted to do. Sure. And, and so church, church just was, I mean, I didn't hate, hate church. It just made Sundays worse than Saturdays. And <laughs> yeah. I genuinely hated it. Like I had, I had stuff on Wednesdays, like youth group or youth choir or things like that. And I hate, I, I gen, I legitimately hated those. Like those, <laughs> uh, those were bad. Oh, and then, and then there was what I felt to be the, the most poorly named thing in, in the history of naming things, which was a vacation Bible school. School and vacation cannot be in the same title. <laughs> not a thing. One or the other, though. So yeah, no, I hated, I hated all of it. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't anything about the church in general. Like I think sure. I would have hated any any activity that I had to go to that was boring. And this was right. an activity, series of activities that I had to do that were to go to that were boring. Right. But as far as my journey from there to atheism. That really began probably right around early middle school, maybe right around the sixth grade. You know, before that, I was just kind of going with the flow yeah. of things. I mean, I, if I ever would have had the option of, hey, do you want to never go to church again? I would have been like, yes, that option. But yeah, for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't having serious problems. But in middle school. There was one year in particular when I was in Sunday school and, you know, I, I had an interest in, in science, uh, you know, as a, as a kid, probably well, animals and, and animal related biology and, and art were probably uh, two of my bigger passions. And one of my best friends, he was in the same church with me since we were very little we went to all of the same schools all the way until we had both graduated from our undergraduates. Wow. And, and I never once went to the school I was supposed to go to. So like, it was pretty wild that we wound up at all the same schools, but you know, some of that was random and some of that was not random in this Sunday school class. I was kind of confronted with a choice about religion versus atheism really probably for the first time in my life. I don't know that I was being, that atheism was being brought up specifically, but it was very much being pushed on me in Sunday school, very publicly. I mean, entire Sunday school sessions would devolve into this about half of the time, which was my friend and I were the evolutionists and our teacher would attack us on evolution with the stupidest arguments ever. <laughs> I mean, you know, so bad that I'm a sixth grader and I'm like, well, that's bogus. Like, you know, yeah, like that bad. You know, dumb. it's not like I knew a heck of a lot in the sixth grade, <laughs> but I knew the stuff that he was presenting was real bad, bad reasoning. Yeah. And, and I pretty much walked out of that class at the end of that year, understanding that I could either believe in God or in science, but not both. It was oh. an either or. Yeah. And I I never at any point while I was an atheist thought of myself as an atheist. I thought of myself as being agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was. But agnostic, well, agnosticism and Gnosticism are on a different axis 
from atheism versus theism. Gnosticism is, is kind of a measure of, of knowing. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I didn't know if the stuff I was being taught was true. You know, I, I didn't know there was no God. I wasn't a Gnostic atheist. Sure. But, and I don't know if this started right in the sixth grade, but as time went on, you know, the, my, my opinion of the, li the likelihood that there would be a God, or certainly if there was one that I had no idea who it was or what it wanted for me, from me, yeah. you know, grew. And so, you know, atheism, the definition of atheism would be a lack of belief in a God or gods. Not a belief that there is no God or gods. That's, that would be Gnostic atheism. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but, but a lack of belief. And I definitely did not have a particular belief. That said, I recognized that the question of there being a God and an afterlife and all that stuff was not an unimportant question. Mm -hmm. If there is a God, if there was a heaven and a hell like I had been taught about growing up, that was worth knowing about. I had a lot of big questions. My thing was like, I, I recognized that if my church that I had grown up in was adequate to save me, my membership and my salvation would be entirely tied to the fact that I just happened to be born in the right church. Mm -hmm. And not, not because I had any particular reason to think that church was the right one. And, and I had a lot of questions about things I had been taught growing up. And I certainly wasn't getting any satisfactory answers to any of these questions. In fact, the answers that I would get were generally, if I got an answer at all, it was usually pretty bogus, pretty bogus <laughs> answer. And, and, and some of the stuff I ran into, I very much concluded that if what I had been taught growing up was true, then God didn't love us. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing other than him saying that he loved us, nothing in his actions or his plan as it had been presented to me reflected a God that loved us, which doesn't make it untrue, but it sure is disappointing if it's true. And again, I didn't think there was any particular reason to think that my church was true. I had, I had a number of major flaws I saw with it. And I, I kind of viewed it as a salvation lottery, right? If I had been saved, it was because I happened to luck into the right ticket in the salvation lottery. And since my ticket didn't seem like a very likely ticket, it was like, well, I should find out what the other tickets are that are out there as best I can. See if I can find one that has fewer glaring problems than my church seemed to have. And, and so I did have interest in, in learning about other, other churches, other religions. Generally speaking, whatever, you know, the ones that I started to look into, like I saw some things that I considered to be glaring problems. I wasn't finding one that, that seemed ideal. My church, as much as I didn't like what it taught very much, and I didn't think it was true, it also didn't ask very much of me. Mm -hmm. To qualify for salvation, I really didn't have to do a whole lot. In fact, what I would have to do wasn't entirely clear but have faith, kind of whatever that means. So it, it didn't make sense to me to not have a ticket in the Salvation Lottery as long as the ticket didn't cost much. I just, this seems like an important enough question 
that it would be good to have one that seems like a possible winner. Yeah. Her mind seemed like a virtually <laughs> impossible. When I turned 18, my mom didn't tell me about this at the time, but when I turned 18, I mean, I had a lot of questions, but, you know, she, I also voiced all of my doubts and concerns to her on a fairly regular basis. And she could see that there was basically no chance that I was going to go on in the church where I'd been raised. And when I turned 18, she prayed that I would be surrounded by people to bring me to Christ. And I didn't know about this, but I will tell you, during my senior year in high school, I suddenly started to have a lot of friends that were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, where I sat in my chemistry class, my, my best friend who sat right behind me, he was not a member of the church. But every other person immediately around me was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which, you know, I, I grew up in Colorado. So, you know, there, there weren't a whole, I mean, there were some, but, I mean, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of members. Right. It's not like Utah, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, you know, there's probably, I'd have a hard time guessing, but. I mean, there's there's one ward for the entire city where I grew up. Gotcha. It's not a not a huge huge town, but not small either. So you know, it it gives it a little perspective. I mean, there's probably maybe a couple of dozen members in a school of I think two thousand. So anyway, the the likelihood of being entirely surrounded by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is somewhat remote, and the girl that sat in front of me, uh, I wound up uh, dating her. She became my girlfriend. And why this was most important is I, I started to spend a lot of time at, at her house and around her family. And I don't think her family would say that there was anything particularly special about them. They, they definitely had their struggles. As, as I don't know how many of their kids are active members of the church today. I, I don't think it's all of them. I don't think they would be like, we were just an outstanding example of the gospel. Yeah. But they yeah. were they were trying and the spirit was in their home and it felt different there. And I was really, really impressed by that. Now, I'll mention that I didn't want to talk to them about it. I was so skeptical of religions at that time. And the answers that I would get from people when I asked them my difficult questions were so ridiculous that I think it was difficult for me to conceal my disappointment and frustration with the answers that they got. I didn't want to damage the relationship that I had with her or her family by bringing this up to them. They, they didn't go out of their way to invite me to stuff, but I did go to a couple of things with them. I went to some like ward activity one time. I remember, uh, you know, she was introducing me to sister this and sister that. And I was like, I asked her, I was like, is she a nun? Yeah. Because like, <laughs> those were the only sisters I was familiar with, you know, to, yeah. to that point in time. And then, and then the other thing is there was some sort of a, of a, a meeting of various religious leaders that happened in Denver, Colorado. I didn't know that they were from all sorts of different churches. I just thought they were all from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And most of them had 
all kinds of typical religious bogusness to say. But have the speakers who didn't wear weird clothes and stuff. He was just in a suit. His name was Gordon B. Hinckley. <laughs> Everything oh, he says is him. just like super reasonable. Just, you know, really down to earth, grounded. Everything made sense. The only thing that he said that I didn't think that he like totally backed up, but I, I mean, it's not that it's difficult to back up, but you know, he, he said that pornography is terrible but he didn't really get into like why, what the problem is. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't explain that when he just said, he just made that statement, but basically every, every other assertion he made, he not only made the assertion, but he backed it up with reasoned out, uh, you know, explanations for why. And, you know, I'd never had that in my life. Didn't make it, you know, it's not like I was like, I joined the church after that, but I, you know, it was, and, I, and again, I thought all of the speakers had been from the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We watched it in their stake center, you know, like, I didn't know. It wasn't until later on that I'm like, well, we never wear giant robes like those, you know. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Those, all those other people were from other churches. Yeah. But but anyway, that was the first really reasonable thing I'd ever heard from a religious person that I can remember. And anyway, it didn't didn't change everything, but I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions about why their family was the way that it was. And in my home, we had a copy of the Book of Mormon that we'd had since I was little. I think it's like a like a 1986 edition or something like that. So really little. Uh, you know, I didn't read books. I read one book in high school. It was Siddhartha because I couldn't find cliff notes to it. <laughs> but the summer after I graduated from high school, I was still dating this girl and I had all these questions. I, I can remember when I was when I was little, there was a commercial on TV for the Book of Mormon. And I asked my mom, I said, what, what is the Book of Mormon? And she said, well, it talks about Jesus, but in the Americas. And I said, why don't we read that? And she said, well, I don't know, but we have a copy. So if you ever want to, you can. Now, again, I didn't read books. <laughs> that was and there were no clip notes. <laughs> there were no clip <laughs> notes. But, 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 you know, probably at least 10 years later, that summer, my questions were big enough. I, I pulled that book down and I started to read the Book of Mormon. Um, before you read this, did you ever actually ask them any of the questions or still you're just keeping it to yourself? No, I didn't ask him any questions. <laughs> um, not nope, not doing it. Questions were, yeah, the, the answers were always bad and I was always yeah. disappointed and it just wasn't, wasn't <laughs> worth it. Yeah. But, um, I started reading the book of Mormon and about a week after I started reading it, uh, missionaries came around knocking on doors and they knocked on my door and I didn't think much of it at the time I did like I was aware that missionaries did this I always uh, you know I, I fantasized of getting red contact lenses and then I could see them coming around the neighborhood you know putting those in and kind of looking down until they're like we want to talk to you about Jesus and I'd look up and be like why would I want to do that and, and they'd run screaming down the down the street that was my that was my dream your plan Mm -hmm. That was my plan, but they never came. They never came. This was the first time I can ever remember in my entire life that they came by. Mm -hmm. And when they knocked on our door, my response was different because when I saw these guys, I was like, this is great because I can ask them my questions and I won't have to read this book, uh, which has backfired on me terribly because I've read it a number of times now. <laughs> but <laughs> funny. I know it, it didn't work out, but, but I was 18, but I looked like I was like 14. 
And so, you know, that when they knocked on the door, they're like, are your parents home? And I said, no, but I'd like to talk to you guys. And, and so I invited them in. And in that first meeting, they taught, I'm sure, because this is before preaching my gospel, I'm sure their first lesson was about the plan of salvation, which I will tell you is where almost all of my problems with what I had been taught growing up resided. Oh, okay. But I didn't understand really how anything they taught me was all that different from what I'd been taught growing up. It just didn't, it didn't click with me. The, I did think of one of my questions to ask them, which is funny because I had questions all the time, so many questions. And the entire time I met with the missionaries, this is the only question I had that I thought to ask them. It was like the others just didn't come to me. And, and my question was simply that if God loves us, then why would he create Satan? Because Satan's like soul, as far as my understanding was, you know, this, this was one of many serious problems I had with the plan of salvation. If God loves us so much and he wants us to be in his presence in, in perfect joy, especially when you've got the options between perfect joy or an eternity of fire and poking, those are the options. He creates, he creates this whole being whose entire job is to try to get us onto the fire and poking path. Yeah. And then, as I understood it, he gets to do the fire and poking, that guy, for all of eternity. And that's a major part of the plan. And nobody had a good answer for me for this one. Well, I asked, I asked the missionaries, and they explained a couple things to me. The first thing they explained was that, there's an, that it's important that there's an opposition in all things. And then they explained also that God didn't create Satan. God created Lucifer, angel of light, who through his own choices became Satan. And that was the first reasonable answer to a religious question I had ever received in my entire life. And it was the only of my major questions that I ever asked the missionaries at any time while I was investigating the church even though I had lots more. So that was great. They invited me to church. I, I, for many years, had become the official church babysitter for the church where I grew up. That meant that I got to play outside with kids during church and I didn't have to go. Sounds great. Um, but Way less boring. It was, it was, oh, it was so much better. But I, I had graduated from high school. And so I, you know, and I was about, I was pretty close to going off to college. And so I'd been training my replacement for a while. And so I was free to go to church. I didn't think of myself as being a golden investigator until I was a missionary myself. When I told them that I would come to church, I went to church. When I told them that I would read scriptures, I read them. I usually read them about 20 minutes before they got there. And I'm like, uh oh, here come they. and when I set an appointment for the missionaries, I was there. And and that's huge. The only thing that I didn't do, and, and it wasn't because I didn't care, it was because I didn't know you could do this. And it was one of my greatest frustrations with the loving God was I didn't pray to know if it was true. At no point in my life had I ever been taught or led to the impression that we could ever know if what we believed was true. And it was a source of great frustration because I think there are probably a lot of people that would follow 
the correct path, the path that, that leads away from fire and poking, if they had some reason to believe that that was the right path. And there was, as far as I could tell, no way other than just noticing that it has fewer grievous flaws than the others to figure out what the right path was. And, and so I didn't pray about it at any point because, you know, it just it didn't, it, it wasn't a thing I even thought you could do. About, uh, well, a, a week before I was supposed to be baptized, well, they set up, they, the, the missionaries invited me to be baptized. They said, will you be baptized on this date? And I said, that will have to be a really tentative date. And apparently for them, that was like, yeah, because they announced it at church. Uh, <laughs> and at that point, I was, I was baptized on a Sunday. And this would have been the Sunday before. At that point, I was absolutely sick about it. There's one thing I knew from all these friends of mine that were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that was that this is not a very inexpensive ticket. There's a, there's a lot of rules, and for the most part, they do them, which was very different than what I had grown up with, which is there aren't very many rules, and if you do them, that's good. <laughs> I wanted a cheap ticket in the Salvation Lottery, and though I was impressed with this ticket, this is a better ticket than I'd seen. This was a very expensive ticket. And I really, still at this point, thought there probably is no God. And now I'm going to, as I saw it, miss out on a huge amount of, you know, potentially positive experiences in this life because I'm jumping through all of these hoops to get some eternal reward that's probably never going to happen. And so... I didn't want to, uh, like, I, I, I was impressed, but not like I want to get baptized impressed. And I was, well, I, I honestly at first wasn't all that concerned about it because, you know, like getting baptized was kind of a not big deal in church when I was growing up. But then like when I talked to my girlfriend about it, I told her they wanted to baptize me and she goes, they just want to baptize everybody. She was never very excited that I was investigating the church. And, and she goes, well, that means that you'd be a member of the church. And I was like, uh-oh. You know, like uh, that, and, and you know, from that point on, like I, I couldn't sleep. I was just, I felt nauseous anytime I think, like it was just sickening. And I don't know why this happened, but about 48 hours, I think, before I was supposed to be baptized, for the first time it occurred to me to pray about it. I don't know why it occurred to me, but it occurred to me. And I probably wasn't going to ask more than one time. But when I prayed, I received an answer that was so clear that there was just no way I could deny it. And at that point, two of the things that I was probably the most concerned about was that my girlfriend would break up with me and that my parents would be upset with me, just in life generally, not because of this. <laughs> um, but the day before I was going to get baptized, I just received this answer and I told my girlfriend and she said, well, we have to break up then. And I said, okay. And, and that was that. I mean, you know, we never got back together. And then the day of my baptism, I went to church. And my bishop, who was going to baptize me, because the missionary said, who would you like to baptize you? And I'm like running through my head. I'm like, who can? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure the bishop could probably do it. How's the bishop? Uh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, 
I, I really love that bishop and, and you know, we, we have a good relationship. But at that point, you know, I hadn't, I, I barely knew the guy. But, it, you know, he had me in, my, in his office the, the day of my baptism. And he said, have you told your parents that you're going to be baptized? And I said, no. And he said, you're old enough that you don't have to. But I didn't tell my parents when I was baptized and I've always regretted it. Mm. And so the day came, well, the, the, I, you know, I went home from church and I was, I was at home and my parents were going to go somewhere and they're like, all right, let's go. I can't even remember what the thing was. They remember, but I don't. And I said, oh, I can't. And they're like, why? What, what do you have to do? And I was like, oh. well, I'm getting baptized today. And my mom didn't say much, which didn't seem like a good sign to me. And my dad, most of my life, didn't go to church with us. He, he'd started going to church just a few years with us a few years before. He, 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 you know, believed in God. He's a super great guy. But he didn't go to church. I didn't think it was all that important to him. Uh, but he was way madder about it than I thought he would be. And I already didn't want to tell them. But we managed to talk about it a little bit. And, and they at least calmed down enough to go to my baptism. My dad was real mad again afterward. I got baptized. And... And then after my baptism, uh, I got baptized with a, with another guy who'd been investigating the church for a while. And he goes, can you believe that next Sunday we're going to get the Holy Ghost? And I was like, mm, next Sunday, I'm going to be in Missouri. And I was. I was, I was like, we don't have the Holy Ghost now? I didn't know that was a separate thing. Oh, they didn't um, that. <laughs> well, I'm sure they told me. It just it didn't register. Yeah. Didn't register. The thing was, and this is this is worth noting. I mean, I did, I did eventually come back and get the Holy Ghost a couple weeks later, but uh, something that, that's kind of worth knowing is when I joined the church, I still didn't understand that it was going to be different from what I'd been taught growing up in any really meaningful way. And so it wasn't, one, one of my great frustrations was that a large percentage of you know, the, the get out of torture free card has something to do with knowing and accepting Jesus Christ. And it seemed to me that most people that, are, that have ever lived were never really going to have much of an opportunity to accept Christ. You know, people are going to be born on islands and stuff where they never, never, never even hear his name. People are going to be born in other religions, you know, and barely hear of him. And those people are going to be tortured for all of eternity. I still didn't think God loved us when I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I knew I knew that uh, it was true and I had to do it. And I was excited. I was excited. Like, at least there's an afterlife and stuff to look forward to. And I still had some atheist tendencies in my way of thinking. I still think just like it. I think being an atheist is a perfectly reasonable place to be until you have a reason to believe that what you believe is true. If not, then why would you not be open strongly open-minded to any possibility and not hyper-committed to, any, to, to anyone? The fact that most people would never have a legitimate chance was extremely bothersome to me. And it wasn't until a, a couple of months later, I accompanied the missionaries to teach the discussions, to teach the first one of those to a member of the church who want, she wanted to hear them again. And so I went with them and they got to explaining the spirit world and the fact that in the spirit world, everyone was going to have the opportunity 
to really understand the gospel, understand Jesus Christ and accept it or reject it for themselves. And while I was listening to that, I was like, that's what we believe. <laughs> and that was the first time in my entire life, at least once I was old enough to think about it at all, yeah. that I thought God actually loves. Me. And then from there, I got to understand what the kingdoms of glory are all about. Oh, my goodness. You know, the, the plan of salvation is incredible. So much so that by the time I, I was, I went on a mission, when the day that I joined the church, my dad said, at least I hope that you will finish your education before you go on a mission. And I was like, a mission? <laughs> it's a big deal. I'm going to be religious now. Yeah, no, no problem. But I, you know, I did start thinking about a mission within my first year as a member of the church. And after I graduated, I did finish my my undergraduate degree, and then then I did go on a mission after working at Disney World for a little while. By the time I left on my mission, I was so excited about the plan of salvation. Like, I was just like, like it all, it makes so much sense. It, and and I'm just like, oh, man, I mean, you know, I, mean, I got to tell everybody about this. And, in, and while I was in the MTC, they kept encouraging us to pray about the Book of Mormon, even if we'd already received a, a, a witness. And I had received a witness. That's why I was here. And I'd never thought to ask again. You know, honestly, when I got that, that witness the first time, I thought that was ever all I was ever going to know for sure about God. Yeah. But that was enough. And, uh, and so I did. I started, I started doing that. And it took, uh, I was in the MTC here for three weeks. And it took until I was in the MTC in Lima, Peru. But I, I, I finally got that witness again. And that reminded me that when I joined the church, I didn't know anything. Nothing made sense. That's not why I joined the church. I joined the church because God actually testifies that it's true. But I, I will tell you, during my undergraduate education, my double major was in zoology and biological science with an emphasis in evolution. I will tell you that during that Almost that entire time, I assumed that because I know that God lives and that that is true, that evolution must not be. So I spent those entire four years studying evolution. Evolution has always made great sense to me. I'm in my evolution class. I'm like, man, this makes a heck of a lot of sense, but must not be true. And I was, that was okay, because this was the first time in my life I really knew something with much greater certainty than I knew that. It wasn't until the summer, I had two classes left to take the, the summer after my senior year. And I met somebody who had just finished a biology degree from BYU. And she explained to me what the church's position is on evolution. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so tell me, share it. What is the church's stance on evolution? Oh, the church has the same stance on evolution that it has on calculus. Perfect. Yeah, it has uh, no stance on evolution, and it probably has nothing to do with your salvation. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, one of the things that I love about your story is that and, and this happens often, like we'll have people talk about their conversion story. And it's so interesting how everyone's story is so unique to them in their timing. Like 
even the story of like you wanted to put red contacts and like freak the missionaries out mm-hmm. it's like yeah oh good but you were not in a place to receive the missionaries right <laughs> no on after you had done some more digging and some more learning then the missionaries come and you're like yes i have these burning questions for you like just so cool that everything came at the perfect time and and that even that you had had the lesson but didn't quite you know because it's a lot they dump a lot on you at the beginning you know they're like here's all this information so it wasn't a, but you had enough faith to step into that and then later on like really dive into more of the spirit world and what that means and that god's giving everybody a chance and like each step of the way we were ready for that information that's when you learn that information which oh, I think and cool. it's just in, incredible stuff you know it's but yes you're you're absolutely right like the timing really was what it needed to be. I, I, I can't, I, I'm, I, I never had at somebody when I knocked on the door as a missionary who was like, oh yeah, I just started reading the Book of Mormon. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Neither. <laughs> it could have been fair that you got one. <laughs> right. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I think that just testifies how much God loves us individually. Like he... Mm-hmm inside and out and he knew exactly what to give you and when and put the right people in your path like it was just kind of tiptoeing in with like having some mormon friends you know and then having these conversations here and there and like little by little having this you know evolution if you would (laughs) (laughs) of your test little by little like building up that you know process and progression for you he knows you. He knows how you operate and how you learn. And I think that's just mm-hmm. all of us. Like, no matter where you're at, like, Heavenly Father meets you there and guides you to where you need to be in the way that makes the most sense for you. Because mm-hmm. it makes sense for somebody else. But for you, those are the specific answers you needed and the specific way it needed to be delivered. And I think it's hilarious that you were like, oh, I have to get the Holy Ghost now. And yeah. You're like, oh wait, crap, and you know, whatever. I just think I don't so, know. love it. It's so unique to like you and what you needed. So I, I had a question when you were telling yeah. us. I'm wondering, like, how are your parents now? How has that kind of grown and changed over the years? Because how long have you been a member now? I just passed twenty years. Nice, right? You guys had the party, and. uh Wait, um, yeah, my, my like, wife threw a surprise party for me to celebrate my 20 years as a member of the church. And I, I showed up to that party. I've never been so confused by a party. Like, I looked around at the group of people here and I'm like, there's no connection to the, the these people are not connected to each other by anything but me. So I'm like, <laughs> I know this party's for me. But why? But we are way far from my birthday. <laughs> like I have no idea. Like I don't know what this is for. <laughs> you know, funny. And then, but I'm, it's, I'm so thankful she did that because that is a big deal. Like twenty mm-hmm. twenty years. That's really special, and I'm glad that I have something to remember that particular moment in my life. Beautiful. Yeah. So how are your parents now? Oh, yeah. So how are my parents now? So good. So three and a half years after I joined the church. Well, roughly three years. It's like, I think 2006, President Hinckley invited us to read the Book of Mormon by the end of the year. Yeah. Now, President Hinckley was unaware of the fact that I 
I, I read a book of scripture every year by my baptism date. And I read the Book of Mormon the first year. And then I read the New Testament. And that year, unbeknownst to him, but beknownst to me, <laughs> I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, and so in October, in October General Conference, when he said, you know, if you read the Book of Mormon by the end of the year, there will be special blessings. I said, very good, Gordon. But I am reading <laughs> Doctrine and Covenants right now. <laughs> yeah, you surely are unaware. And... Sorry, Gordon. <laughs> Several weeks after that, I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants like I do. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> a prophet told you, hey, read the Book of Mormon now. And I'm like, no, it's going to be the Doctrine and Covenants. And so I, I started reading the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants at the same time. Yeah. But it became really apparent really fast that I wasn't going to be able to finish the book of mormon by the end of the year if i was trying to do both so i stopped reading the doctrine and covenants i wound up losing my place in it and had to i didn't start from the beginning but i started from page 100 because i knew i was well past that anyway i finished the book of mormon on december 31st of 2006 my mom including right after i had joined the church while we were on that trip that we went on before I got the gift of the Holy Ghost. She went to church with me that Sunday, but she couldn't go to church with me normally because she worked for the church where, where I grew up. But that was her job. She was the Sunday school director there as her, her paid job. So it wasn't an option for her to just not go and go to church with me whenever. But the the first Sunday after the new year, my mom said, I think I'd like to go to church with you today. And so she did. And in February of 2006, so this would be like, or February 2007, so this would be like three and a half years after I joined the church, she got baptized and I got to baptize her. And, and really to that point, my dad had never had anything particularly positive to say about the church. He wasn't a problem. You know, he wasn't like mad all the time or anything, but he always seemed annoyed when I had church activities and things like that to go to yeah but when my mom got baptized he went to her baptism and he was just super happy the whole time and when we got home he told me if i get baptized it'll have to be before you go on a mission or after you get home because i want you to do it Aww. um what did you say well i i don't know what i said but i thought about that an awful lot and my mom's been an active member of the church ever since. My dad's not a member of the church, but he's really, really positive about the church, really, really supportive. And he's a really good Christian man. He lives the gospel in very, very meaningful ways. And that's where we are now. I love so that. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Very cool. Okay, Annie, what is your burning question? My question really was, is I love the idea of like, when you were first, like really even wrestling with like, is there a God or how do I believe in this? That like, there was some defining line between like, if I believe in science, I can't believe in God, you know, <laughs> like Dr. Libre. I only believe in science. I know. <laughs> but like, so how has like, science being a major part of your world and a major part of who you are how do those kind of collide for you 
how did you come to a point where you've maintained a testimony? How do those converge in your life? Yeah, my yeah. my question is basically just like, how do you feel that they overlap? Because I'm sure they do. And so, yeah, that, I think goes with Julie's question of like how you can reconcile both, both of those things and have them both exist in your life because they're both essentially from God. So I, I want to make sure I answer all that. So if I miss any parts of the, either of those questions, because I'm excited about everything there. I have I, I have an example of fun overlap. So here's a scripture that makes sense to me because of my understanding of science. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it's it's the one about um, how if you have not charity, you're nothing. Okay. And then another scripture that is going to go along with this thought is the the concept that the natural man is an enemy to God. Those are interesting thoughts. That one about if we have not charity, we are nothing. That didn't make sense to me until I started to understand evolution a lot better. And there are all sorts of behaviors uh sinful behaviors and kind of behaviors that make loads of selective evolutionary sense and i should probably explain what i mean by that so evolution works very differently than a lot of people think it does uh, you know and to, 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 to really simplify it to maybe the barest of bones Mutations happen in populations. They change they change the genetic code in some way that is, uh, as far as we can tell, random. It, it might not be entirely random, but things things that are difficult to understand well outside of our ability to make any meaningful predictions, uh, that's as close as you get to write true randomness. And, and so, you know, the mutations that happen in a population are, as far as we can tell, random. And therefore, they change the DNA and what the DNA does in a way that makes it do something different. But different can be great, different can be terrible, and what's going to assess whether or not it's great or terrible really at the end of the day is what does it do to the likelihood of you passing on your genes, and specifically that gene, to the next generation? Hmm. If that change makes it so your likelihood of reproducing goes up a little bit, then in every successive generation, that is likely to become a little more common as long as it continues to give an advantage in that way until potentially the whole population has it. Okay, and, and this works with like the way things look, but also the way things act in a, in a very, very real way. Most of the behaviors, good and sinful, that people do make great selective sense including what what you would call reciprocal altruism which is the closest thing to charity i would say that's not charity it is where i'm doing something good for you for no immediate reward to myself but i do kind of expect that if i ever need something from you you'd be there as a result of me being here for you now you know, and, and so you can you can have whole, you know, in, in human society, that can be very beneficial to be the one who's, whenever things are going well for you, you're paying it forward, but kind of mm -hmm. expecting that it could be paid back if need be. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense for your survival, you're likely to be producing. And then, you know, all sorts of sinful behaviors make loads of sense. 
as far as increasing your likelihood of getting your genes moved on to the next generation. That's very often the case. There are really two behaviors that don't make any sense. Uh, one of them would be spite, where you do something terrible to somebody else at your own expense, too. But the opposite of that is what I would call true charity. It is where you are doing something good for somebody else with no expectation of anything good ever happening to you as a consequence. And as I see it, if you never do that, then you are never being anything but the natural man. And you are nothing like God. And that evolutionary insight has maybe given me a window into understanding why if you have not charity, you are nothing. Because you truly are nothing like God. You are only natural, carnal, and devilish. That's awesome. Oof, I like it. <laughs> but as far as as far as the overlap goes or how I how I make them work with each other, the reality is I don't really run into very much conflict, if any. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's not really very like I, I it's it's one of the things I actually feel extremely comfortable talking to atheists about my religious perspective. It's, it's been a surprising thing to many people, I think, that are more of the atheistic bent to to talk to them because I, I I really, as far as I can tell, I don't believe anything that is all that unreasonable or out of harmony with science purely. Does that make sense? Okay. When I was in college, though, I, I mean, I was rejecting evolution just because, that, that, like, growing up, I learned, like, if you're going to believe in God, apparently it can't be evolution. And how I reconciled that in my mind was simply that, well, evolution is most certainly the best explanation we have for a wide number of phenomena. But eventually we will probably understand how it really happened. But it's not like I had any problem like evolutionary theory, some conspiracy of the atheists to drag us all to hell or anything like that. It was like, you know, this is the best we've got. You know, that's how science works. Science is not the truth. Even if we arrive at the truth in science, science doesn't know it's arrived at the truth. So science never assumes it knows the truth. Science is a model. Hmm. And the thing about models is that all models are wrong. Some models are useful. Uh, for example, I can make an excellent model of the atom. But no matter how good it is, no matter how detailed, no matter how much I just get it like just so precisely right, it never is going to be an atom. And it is going to be wrong from an atom in some really meaningful ways. That's just the nature of model. Science is largely a mathematical and linguistic model. And, and the way that it works effectively, so this is where it can be useful. Science is useful in as much as it makes accurate predictions about reality. Hmm. 
And that is what the scientific method does is I have something and I create a model that would allow me, if, if this model is valuable, it'll allow me to make some accurate predictions about reality. And then I test my model to see are the predictions that it makes accurate or not. If they're lousy predictions, then I, I potentially throw the model away. That's prob that would only be what I would do if I have a different model that's better. Mm -hmm. Or I try to improve that model to make it work better than it is because it's missing pretty badly right now. And the longer I work on it and fine tune that model, the better it gets. And, and one of my favorite examples of this is the geocentric model of the universe. This would be the model that the earth is the center of all things in the universe. Yeah. Now, if you understand relativity, an argument can be made that the earth is the center of the universe. It's just that it doesn't actually influence the universe too much. And so the universe is sort of doing what the universe is doing. But you could plot, you could make a model where the, the earth is the center. And that's what they had done because that's what they thought it, the deal was. And they would try to plot where they thought the planets and, and other celestial bodies should be at any given time. And planets were on these weird, looping, awkward orbits and stuff because relative to the earth, that is what they do. And the thing is over time, they really got that model really, really dialed in. It was very, very accurate at making predictions, but because the earth really doesn't actually have that much influence, there was a certain, and they were kind of assuming that it did, there was a certain amount of imperfection that they could, uh, it was somewhat imprecise and they couldn't quite get it dialed in all the way. And then somebody came out with a competing model, the heliocentric model of the universe. That the sun is the center of the universe, which also isn't quite true, but it's more true than that the earth is the center in that the sun has more of an influence on the other bodies around than the earth does. And when they came out with that model, even though it is closer to true, the predictions that it made were worse. They had that geocentric model so dang dialed in. Because the heliocentric model is closer to true, eventually, as they worked on it, they were able to get it eventually to be more precise than the geocentric model. And at that point, we could throw the geocentric model out. But... Until the heliocentric model actually worked better, we needed that geocentric model to make better predictions than we had with the heliocentric model, even though the heliocentric model is probably closer to true. And that's how science operates. When I learned from that person about the church's actual position on evolution, all of a sudden that opened the door to, well, I guess evolution could be accurate then. And that it always made buckets of sense to me. And since then I have learned a ton about evolution, so much so that I have simultaneously way more confidence in it. And also, I think my position was largely true. I think evolutionary theory as it stands today is by far the most predictive model that we have for how and when life has and will continue to diversify over time on this planet. But I don't think it's perfect. And I think as time goes on, we will understand, you know, it's it certainly has holes, which is what which is what the uh, the opponents of it often do. You know, people that do uh, really hold that you can't have God and science at the same time and they believe in God. So now they try to poke holes in, in evolution. Well, you can do that all day long. You, know, you can poke holes in any scientific theory all day long because they're all somewhat wrong. 
everything we know in science is somewhat wrong. It's getting better and better, but unless you have a more predictive model to, to answer the same questions as evolutionary theory, uh, don't throw it out. And I do think evolution closely approximates probably what has happened to, you know, today, if for some reason it was relevant in my, in my salvation and I was being judged and Christ goes, well, okay, well, what was the, the mechanism by which life diversified on earth? And I'd go, uh, evolution, you know, that's where I'd put my money if I had to do it today. And if he went, nope, I'd go, okay, that's fine. Could I, like, I, if you want to explain it to me, that'd be great. And if not, that's also fine. It doesn't have anything to do with my salvation. But if I had to guess, that's that's what I think would uh, be my explanation. One of the things that one of the things that I love actually about the gospel is that like I think we're not quick to answer the things that are meant to be questioned. So like I think we're not too fast to try and put some answer to something that like doesn't sit right or feels kind of ambiguous you know and I think that that is beautiful for me it's one of my favorite things to do is to like contemplate all the depths of what might be possible and what might not and it doesn't make me diverge from God it makes me really see the beauty in we in our house we call God the greatest scientist the ultimate scientist so we say you know God just if you looked at a scientist from the 1800s and you're like well, look at this thing I created they'd be like you're a god what is this and we think this is someone with exponential growth and all the ability to do all the wonderful things that he can do. So we always call him the ultimate scientist at our house. And it's one of the beautiful things I think about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that like we are open for all the possibilities. There's yeah. just so much open to us for that. That's People so struggle with uncertainty though. They really yeah. do. Yeah. Yes. And, and so people like to have concrete for sure answers even if they don't have any good reasons to think that those are actually correct. Right. Yeah. But no matter what, you're putting your faith in somebody. So even if you're a science-based, God is nothing, you're putting your faith in science and you're putting yep. your faith in something. I mean, faith is based because none of those answers can be truly answered. Your faith is somewhere. And, yeah. and you're, you're getting very much at why I think atheism is a very reasonable place to be, because if you don't sure. have a reason to think that what you believe is true, then an agnostic atheist is reserving judgment. Yeah, I've, right. I've actually titled myself before to someone. I'm like, I'm just an agnostic believer. I'm like, yeah. I believe in God with some agnosticism to the fact that like, that of course I can't prove anything. And so with my faith, this is how I lead my life. And this is how I believe in God. And there's been... There's been personal things that have testified that to me, but like, I don't have to meet you in a battle, you know, no. for any of those reasons. And yeah. I couldn't definitively prove him to you, but that's okay. That is okay. And that's, that's something people struggle with a lot. Cause I think there's a certain amount of validation in uh, getting somebody else to believe whatever it is that you believe. And, mm -hmm. and as humans in general, we work really hard at that. Oh, you should believe what I believe in. And you want to convince people. Well, the reality is, the testimony I have is non-transferable. I can't even give it to my children. Right. Like, like I believe strongly that if you follow a path similar to what I did to receive this witness, that you would as well, but I can't give it to you. And there's nothing I can say that will make you have it. Right. For sure. Okay. Well, I think the, the best way to wrap up today is you sharing with us like how 
all of this information, all of, you know, the things you're sharing about today, how this has brought you closer to the Savior. I mean, the reality is that I'm coming from a place where I never had any relationship with the Savior. I didn't have a relationship with the Savior at all when I was growing up in an evangelical Christian church. I didn't have a relationship with the Savior at all when I was an atheist. And that's not to say that a person, especially, you know, especially people in other Christian churches, is not to say that they can't, because they certainly can't. You know, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has no monopoly on the Savior or the atonement or the blessings of living the gospel. But I didn't have them. And now I do. As time goes on, I understand the atonement more deeply. And I get to apply it in, in greater ways in my life. It took me a long time, for example, to understand that the atonement wasn't just about helping me receive peace and forgiveness after sin. But that Christ endured all things so that he would know how to help me in every struggle I ever experienced. And that he is willing <clears throat> to help me to carry those loads and to lift those weights off of my shoulders, just like he is willing to help me lift the weight of sin off of my shoulders. The very fact that I can receive forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made in my life. Things, silly things, but there were things that ate at me for years until I had the atonement in my life. These are just among the temporal blessings of having the Savior in my life. I have seen that our Heavenly Father and, and Jesus Christ keep their promises. I've I've come to understand the, the purpose of of commandments. I, I grew up thinking of them as arbitrary hoops tied almost indirectly to some sort of eternal reward. But I now understand that God knows the things in, in this life that cause us pain and suffering for, for us and those around us. And he knows the things that bring us joy and happiness. And he has been kind enough to point those things out to us because Oftentimes, it's not obvious where they land, where they end up from the beginning. And then through the atonement, we can we can change ourselves and perfect ourselves and stop doing the things that make us miserable and start doing the things that that bring us joy. And we can change things about our character that the world would tell you you cannot when you use the atonement and you follow the step by step guidance of the Holy Ghost. In short. It has changed my life in every way I can conceive of for the better. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your insight and your wisdom and your story. I think that what's so cool about us bringing all kinds of people on this podcast is that there's going to be somebody out there. I just feel in my bones, like someone else is going to have similar questions to you. And that you being able to answer those questions in those ways is going to just bless other people's lives. That's why there's so much power in sharing our stories 
is that it becomes helpful to other people. So we're so grateful for you being here. You are amazing. And listeners, we love you so much and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here today. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a review and five-star rating. And come hang out with us and join our community at our new Instagram at notyourmamas.rs.